welcome to Rehla, an introspective podcast that aims to take you on a journey to unravel, explore, and fulfill the truest, highest expression of ourselves. Here's to the journey towards a richer and fuller inner self. Let's create and elevate. Hi everyone and welcome to the Rehla podcast. I'm your host Mace and today we have with us the amazing, I would even say legendary, Arise. <laughs> Hi guys, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Good. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so this is the first time I actually record with a big group. So I'm really, really excited uh, to have you on here and I think this is such a great time to talk about what you guys are doing because you are change makers especially in this city but for those out there who don't know much about you can you please lead us in your journey how you decided on creating Arise and how you came together as um as a group or as a team well um first of all thank you for having us on your podcast uh, Maze. I can start with uh, telling you a little bit about what Arise is. So uh, as you can see, we have as of today four members, but we actually in total five members uh, in the core group of Arise. Um, and this is the core group, but Arise in itself is made up of a bigger community. So with the members, we have uh, Timobi, we have Babu, we have Chivuma, and we also have Mwavita who couldn't be here today. And then me, Rubimbo. So what Arise is, it's um, an organization that builds on the legacy of African youth in Norway. What it does is it centers around the youth and we encourage the awakening of youth um, and African people in Norway. Mm. So Arise in itself stands for Africans Rising in Solidarity and Empowerment. And we started Arise in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, in month, the month was, mm. well, August. I mean, we always have a thing Summer. about like when exactly we always have a thing about when exactly did we start it, because uh, we came together with the idea, and then by the time we had our first event, it's like, okay, do we say we started it when we first had the idea, when we got together and said let's start arise, or do we say we started it when we first, when we heard our first ever event? Mm. So it's always it's always that thing. But anyway, <laughs> so so we just say summer twenty eighteen, you know, to avoid any. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much uh, us. I mean, we are one thing that's worth knowing, I guess, is the fact that we are a nonprofit and self-sustaining organization. Mm. Uh, we don't receive any public funds. So our goal is basically to create safe spaces in the community. Um, yeah, and we do that through a series of different events um, and different platforms that we have. Yeah, so that's kind of like a little bit about who or what Arise is, our members. I don't know, maybe, uh, I feel like I'm talking too much. Maybe somebody else can talk about how yeah. we started. That was your other question. That, that's, that's good, actually. And before you start, Babu, I would also love to know your why. I'm very on the why people do what they do and what keeps you going, especially because you're doing this, like you're a nonprofit, you said, and that takes a lot of energy, money, you know, like that takes a lot. So your why has is probably very solid and it's probably been getting you to wake up when you don't feel do you don't feel like it go through things when you're faced with adversity and everything so what's your why why did you start arise why did you come together um yeah i mean i'm just going to kind of like uh, uh, expand uh, on what has already been been said 
by uh, Rubimbo. As she made it clear, uh, Arise, um, you know, it's much bigger, it's much more than just an organization. Uh, so to say, you know, why did we start it, uh, you know, would be to kind of like ask, you know, uh, why do we breathe, you know, um, as, a, as a people, you know, uh, why do we wake up every morning, you know, and go about our day? You know, I think from for me at least, you know, from a personal uh, level, you know, it's 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 very much personal, you know, because you know we are dealing with uh, you know with challenges that you know at times can you know might seem unsurmountable or like you know impossible challenges or you know adversities, and uh, just you know being um, uh, black uh, in this country, you know, uh, uh, in this world, uh, you know, poses its challenges, mm-hmm. and. Uh, for, for, for us, you know, at least for me, it's a personal, uh, you know, it's, it's very personal. You know, I'm, I'm 100% uh, involved and engaged in everything that I do. And um, Arise was initiated by uh, youth of African origin living in Austin. That is just like, you know, the background of it. And one of the main reasons why, uh, you, know, we, you know, it was initiated uh, was because many of these youth uh, were longing for a safe, you know, and a, pro- a safe and progressive space for dialogues, uh, reflections, discussions, and exchange of opinion. Uh, and uh, that comes maybe with the experience of feeling uh, excluded or maybe not included as much uh, in the society, the challenges of racism, you know, institutional racism, you know, structural racism, um, you know, having to, uh, you know, to live up, you know, with the you know, daily experiences of microaggressions. Uh, so all that kind of like, you know, uh, puts you in a position where you feel the need, you know, to, to you know, uh, to be expressive, you know, at least to make it clear that, you know, there's something that isn't right. Mm. So the lack of these spaces where we could come together as a people, let's say as youth, you know, uh, struggling with the questions of identity, uh, I think that was the driving force uh, behind uh, why Rise had to come into existence. But as you know, Zed uh, elaborated in the beginning, uh, Arise builds on an already existing legacy, and that is the legacy of African youth. The African youth, uh, which existed or it was created in 1994, uh, was very much you know preoccupied with you know uh, empowering the youth, you know giving the youth the possibility to express themselves, mm-hmm. and you know, it became even much more uh, important, especially during the time when. You know, shortly after uh, the the murder of uh, Benjamin Hermanson in 20, uh, 20, uh, 2001, can, and can these I, youth came sorry, together. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I, for, for those who are listening who might not even be aware of this, because I have some people from, from UK who, yeah. you know, friends who have asked me as well whether they've wondered, like, oh, do you even have minorities in Norway is one of the questions I get. And another one is, mm-hmm. do you have racism in Norway? Um, so hence my excitement for this episode because I feel like you guys can share a lot of things that are happening. Can you give a short, short description of what happened to ben- Benjamin here in Oslo? Yeah, um, just if you, uh, just, you know, last month uh, on the... 26th, uh, 26th of uh, January, that was the 20th um, anniversary uh, since the killing of Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Ermansen. Benjamin Ermansen was uh, a youth, uh, you know, he was 15 years old when uh, he was you know, ambushed by uh, some neo-Nazis, uh, you know, uh, uh, somewhere there, uh, you know, in a neighborhood called 
uh, Omleya, which mm -hmm. is uh, a part of Oslo, like uh, you know, uh, a district or um, uh, a part of Oslo. And this was, you know, a winter day uh, in 20, uh, I mean, in 2001, uh, January. And uh, Benjamin was uh, of uh, Ghanaian and Norwegian background. So his mom was, was Norwegian and his father was Ghanaian, I believe. And, uh, you know, he grew up just like any other youth, you know, in Oslo, you know, uh, playing around, you know, loving, you know, uh, you know, uh, hanging around with his friend, uh, playing football. You know, and I think for those, if you're, you know, you mentioning that there are people maybe from the UK, you know, who are listening, uh, you know, there is, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've read, for instance, about the history of uh, Steph, Stephen Lawrence, you know, uh, it's kind of like, you know, there is some similarities there. Mm. But Benjamin, you know, you know, the, the, the way that, you know, um, you know they, they ambushed him and how he was murdered, you know, stabbed to death is something that, you know, is very impossible, you know, to forget. And uh, there was a huge, uh, uh, what in Norway they call fakeltog, or, you know, uh, with other words, like, you know, demonstration that was organized shortly after that, after the murder, maybe a week after. And that gathered an incredible amount of people, maybe one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, gathering of people in the history of Norway. And everybody came out in the street, you know, saying that never again, that, you know, uh, will never have to repeat itself. Um, so obviously, just like, you know, uh, many of these demonstra demonstrations that we've witnessed in the past, shortly after the commotion, you know, things tend to go back to normal. Yeah. So many of the youth that, you know, were, were, were friends of Benjamin Hermanson, you know, uh, were very much in a vulnerable position, exactly. And many of them did not receive the help that you know, they should have received at that particular time. Mm. And so, you know, it was quite uh, uh, great to have an initiative such as African Youth back then because, you know, they opened up, you know, the door for many of the, uh, these young people, you know, who were struggling, trying to make sense of what had just happened, you know. Mm. And not only that, but also trying to battle, you know, with the questions of, you know, who am I, you know, what is my place in this society? So African Youth, you know, and many of the leaders that, that were a part of that initiative, such as uh, Babuntu, you know, uh, opened the door for many of these youth. And this is, you know, that is how many people came, you know, to find you know, a place where they could just, you know, be themselves, you know, uh, you know, express themselves in whatever ways possible, be it artistic and so on and so forth. So that is the kind of a legacy that Arise basically builds on. And that is also our why, you know, we are there as a continuation of that legacy. And we are also also very much preoccupied, you know, with uh, you know, centering ourselves, you know, in the community, uh, you know, and uh, giving every member of our community a voice, you know, a platform where we can come together, engage in, you know, exchange of opinion, dialogues, anything that can, you know, take us from, from one step to the next, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so as to progress as a people uh, in this society. I love that. And I could really connect and sort of resonate or relate to when you mentioned, you know, identity, feeling of belonging, feeling maybe like an outsider, not knowing who you are and where your place is in in this society. Um, what sort of events or getting together, like things that you guys have done throughout the years to have this conversation and those dialogues with um, the youth here in, in Norway? I think I can answer that. Uh, at least uh, uh, we have uh, uh, different platforms, and uh, one of the main platforms that we have is uh, Black Clove, and uh, the Black Clove platform is actually a 
safe i mean that's like the safe space for us to express um our blackness uh, without any interruptions uh, from other groups because you know especially i mean living in this place we are always uh, i mean we, we we don't we don't get to really uh, uh talk about us talk about our blackness talk about you know uh, our problems and just you know um, amongst ourselves so black love is mainly uh, you know uh, that uh, space and uh, the conversations are like you know could be uh, uh, very historical and um, what we do we invite you know uh, our professionals we could invite scholars and we invite as well you know activists you know uh, in uh, from the community because we do have some actually but we also try to expand like you know from outside out of Norway and just to make sure like you know uh, to also uh, uh, really you know make that statement that we have the similar uh, we have we have similar problems in these you know white spaces mm-hmm. and um, so I mean and uh, the objective of black love is actually to kind of you know rediscover our humanity as African people basically that's what we do and um, we also have a Kwanzaa, the Kwanzaa celebration, uh, which is actually um, uh, an African, you know, a feast for, you know, the, uh, for, for, from the African people, uh, which is, I mean, the, but the, the Kwanzaa celebration is more open to like everybody else. Uh, that's where we also uh, put our African heritage in front and present it to the rest of, you know, uh, the society in Norway. And Kwanzaa is actually uh, also. I mean, Kwanzaa is inspired definitely from you know the continent of uh, the continent of Africa. You know, with African traditions. But we uh, we well, I mean, we came or we 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 found out about Kwanzaa. You know, through you know uh, this great scholar that is in the U.S. You know, Professor uh, Professor Karenga. And uh, so we you know we very much uh, 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 have the same format. But you know, with little uh, adjustments here and there, and uh, we also have uh, events. About I, I mean, just to mention as well, you know, and and when we you know celebrate Kwanzaa, we definitely uh, do it in cooperation with you know, the uh, the Nordic Black Theater through uh, Cliff, who he's also an elder here in the community, and uh, and we also have you know Aki from Umud. Uh, also an elder year from the community. So these are like, you know, the main uh, people that, you know, join forces with Arise to, to, to make sure this uh, celebration uh, goes on. Um, uh, we also have like, you know, uh, small events such as, I mean, not small events, but more closed events such as like, you know, the men's event, uh, Shabaka. Uh, I think maybe Chimabu or Babu can say more about it. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, the Shabaka program is a program that we have, should I say, borrowed or been inspired by um, a similar program uh, based on Ebukusini Solutions uh, men's event, which has the same name, Shabaka. So basically, in short, it's a men's only um, gathering where we sit and discuss and deconstruct uh, conversational topics around both masculinity and try to challenge some of the stereotypes that we're faced with as black men, because we think that there are some very specific, unique dimensions to being a black man in a white country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we share those uh, dimensions and those problems and those topics across the globe, which is what is extra interesting about being black in any space, is that men in South Africa or men in Nigeria or men in Norway, black men now, 
will have some of the same challenges, some of the same preconceived notions about what does it mean to be a man and so on. So we, we found out that we needed a space to come together as men and just talk about some of these things. Um, interestingly, we also have another concept borrowed from Ebu Gusini, um, in who are based in South Africa called Kandaka, which is uh, the event reserved for women. So I don't know if, if uh, maybe Rubimba wants to tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you said it so well, you described the men's event so well. So I mean, the women's event is basically uh, a different version for the women, like a safe space for the women. Yeah, I think you described it so well, uh, the Shabaka men. So exactly what we do for the Shabaka men is the same space is exactly the same space that we create for women as well. I yeah. love that. I, I think, um, mm. so I, I do a lot of uh, research on um, mental health and well-being uh, for people of, you know, just minorities in general and and the wellness space and how basically whitewashed uh, the wellness space is and has been, how we can communicate well-being and mental health to people of different uh, ethnicities and cultures. And uh, one of the things that keep coming up is the importance of having sort of safe spaces for different ethnicities and gender as well and having that safe space to just be yourself and feel like you can say something without being judged or questioned but i say questioned because i feel like you can question in a curious way and being curious and open to learn but you you probably know just that everything we've experienced is that sometimes you get questioned but in a judgy way and that only creates a wall i know that's created for myself when I was younger, mm. where you sort of like just shut off and you're like, oh, here we go again. I I've heard this before and you just shut off. So I'm rooting for you guys. I, I love that you created safe spaces for both, especially men, because, you know, we all know like in my culture as well, there's a lot of toxic masculinity. There's nothing that is not spoken about. Um, so I'll take the idea and bring it and bring it to my <laughs> my people as well. And we're like, you need to create a safe space for this. <laughs> I'm sure there are some in your communities too, though. You know, they're just not very visible. That's the thing. Yeah. So spaces like Shabaka aren't, you know, they don't broadcast it. We don't have money for ads. So you, don't, you won't find us on Facebook if you don't really know where to look. Mm. Right. So I'm sure there are some in your community as well. You just got to know where to look. So I'm curious that you mentioned that. How do you go about, um, is it mostly like more word of mouth or how do you go about sort of quote unquote marketing it or working on bringing people into your, the, these safe spaces that you've created? Right. I think uh, we do. Oh, you can answer that. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. That's okay. And I just wanted to say, you know, we do both, but uh, you can, you know, talk, uh, go into the details. Definitely. Sure. Like the man said, we do both. That question is actually tied a little bit to some of the main challenges that we had in the start, uh, because we are, we're self-funded, meaning at some point, uh, well, ever since we started, actually, for the most part, we've been putting in our own money out of our own pocket to sort of get the wheels turning. And that means we can't really reserve ad spaces anywhere. It means that a website is potentially too costly for us. Like domain names don't cost much, right? But in the long run, it's it's an expense we don't need. So we rely mostly on word of mouth and obviously social media. Mm. So we've had, um, I think ever since the beginning, Facebook events, and we created an Instagram account a little bit over a year ago, maybe two years ago now, to try to get the message out there. But mostly it's word of mouth. So we're fully reliant on our own social networks. And then that those people that we know will again spread it to the people they know, and they'll spread it to the people they know. Uh, that's tough, I'll admit. Um, because sometimes it's hard to sell, especially after the pandemic hit. There's so much mm -hmm. competition, right? So you can either tune into Netflix or you can tune into this uh, event called Black Love. How do you organize for black uh, power? You know, like it doesn't sound as sexy. So 
getting an audience can sometimes be tough. A lot of exciting things are going on in the digital sphere right now, but word of mouth, definitely, that's where we are most reliant. And we try to spread it and, and have like a bigger digital presence. But again, it's, it's rough. It's all volunteer-based work. So we don't have media strategists helping us to push out content. We have to think of stuff from the from the bottom up. And we also don't have a graphic designer in-house, for example. So if we need somebody to do graphic work, we need to hire somebody, which again is more money. So I'm curious, um, you mentioned you're self-funded and I'm curious on some of the challenges that you have faced or the difficulties that you face being African organization here in Oslo when it comes to asking for help or financial support or maybe collaborating with someone or an organization who might fund you or help you with that. How, how has that been for you? Mm, well, in terms of getting funding, uh, we had that conversation early on uh, because we do know that there are existing, should I say, funders out there, like the municipalities have some systems in place. Uh, I know that some government institutions have some stuff, but we don't know if A, we were qualified or B, if we wanted to be reliant on money from the government. And there's a particular reason for that, because the minute we receive funding from the government, there may be limitations to what we can do or what we can say. Uh, and that's not to say that we are terribly radical or extremist or polemic, but we do think that, or we know from experience rather, that when you create spaces reserved for one uh, group of people, that will sometimes be considered as less than ideal by the funders, right? And there may also be expectations as to what kind of work you do or what kind of topics you raise. And we don't necessarily believe that we would be funded to create spaces only for Black people in Norway. So for the time being, when we started out and for the first two years, we decided no funding. We're just going to run this show on our own. Uh, lately, we have been fortunate enough, especially post-BLM demo that we did in Oslo, We've been fortunate enough to have been called for a number of speaking engagements. So that has actually garnered us a little bit of coin. So that has helped. So now we can afford the occasional graphic designer, right? And we can afford maybe, well, I don't think we're going to do anything with ads, but we can afford fruits and nuts and veggies at the next event. So that, that's, a, that's an upside. But we are independent still. Mm, that takes a lot of courage and confidence and I say confidence because you said that basically you want to have that freedom to do and say what you want and not feel that you are quote unquote owned by someone else just because they're funding you. That's right. So that takes a lot of confidence. So we're just going to like expand on what Chimobi has already uh, said. And also one major reason, you know, uh, is Arise is all about, uh, you know, uh, empowerment, right? And, you know, uh, we are... Uh, encouraging since we say that you know we are a grassroots uh, initiative that is very much you know uh, grounded within the community and you know we see basically you know uh, we have a different um, a different approach to the extent that even from ourselves you know knowing that when we decided to engage ourselves uh, you know uh, in this work you know uh, it will take it took a lot of sacrifices right you know, personal sacrifices, for, uh, for example. And, you know, to that extent, you know, that is also the kind of an expectation that we have uh, when it comes to the larger community. Because when you're doing this kind of work, you are not really doing anybody else but yourself a favor. So to the extent that we were able to, you know, to do some of these sacrifices as, you know, putting our money or the money where our mouth are, you know, it's something that, you know, we, you know, I, at least me personally, I would like to encourage everyone, you know, to think of it as a personal investment, you know, because, you know, this is a cause that, you know, I mean, we're trying to create, a, you know, a better or a brighter future 
you know, for our children, right? And for ourselves also. So to the extent that, you know, you are able to and you have the means to, I think that is something that, you know, you should never underestimate because it is to some extent some kind of an investment. So I do not regret, you know, anything at all. You know, if, if, if I can put, you know, as much as I can, you know, on the table so that we can move this work forward, I'll be very much happy to do so. And also, it's also about self-sustenance, you know, it's about, you know, um, you know, uh, self-determination, you know, we, we are also encouraging people to see that, you know, as a people, we have the means, you know, at our disposal, you know, we are, um, you know, um, a fruitful people, you know, we have, we, you know, we have, we have a, a great number of resourceful people within our community, so we don't have to go far, you know, to get what we need, you know, and that has actually proven to be true, because much of what we've done, you know, has come through exactly what I've just, you know, explained, you know, it's been, you know, like the Nordic Black, you know, affording us, you know, such a huge space, such a huge, you know, venue for nothing, you know, and this is this is the kind of, you know, of activism that, you know, we need to see more often, right? You know, it's not about, oh, you know, we are all for Black Power and Black Lives Matter and all that, but we need to see it in action, we need to see it, you know, like, you know, actively and continuously, you know, and that is what, uh, we are also encouraging basically so we cannot be self-sustaining you know if we do not encourage these kinds of initiatives where we take you know we take that you know uh you know, we take the responsibility you know we take whatever you know uh in our own ends and try to do the best that we can with whatever that we have at our disposal you see so that is also another reason as to why i think you know uh, we are to some extent reluctant to go to you know, to uh, to these you know fundings and you know and all that money that we know definitely is there, but uh, there's also some kind of uh, you know of of um, of a dependency you know that can grow you know uh, out of that you know if you if you become you know very much reliant of that and any form of dependency I don't know uh, is wise uh, to entertain. So we would we would very much you know uh, strive to remain uh, self-sustaining you know and um... I think you answered that so well because when you were talking I kept thinking about you sort of bringing it back to the community and also exactly. playing on the strength of people in your community you know what are your mm. strengths how can you support this and giving them the opportunity yeah, exactly. to you know gain that experience so let's say mm. you know earlier you were talking about graphic designer right you don't have mm. money for that but maybe someone in the community would like to you know have those skills and would like to participate and would like to help mm. out you know that would be a great opportunity for him or her to do so and then say actually I've done X, Y, and Z for Arise and this is my work but at the same time they're helping you and giving back to arise and building that community and so far and so far it, it should be shared also so far you know the support from the community has been very positive we we've we've had you know people willing to actually you know assist with you know to design but you, mm. know, you would also want to you know at least show you know uh, uh, a kind of like appreciations that's always beautiful but the the the, the what's it called the support from the community has been uh, amazing so I wanted to go back. So you mentioned that uh, you were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement that you initiated last year. And I think it was 15,000 people who showed up. Please talk me through the whole <laughs> journey experience. Um, yeah. yeah, go go ahead, Rosette. <laughs> no, um, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, so that demonstration um, was a result of uh, the killing of George Floyd. So the demonstration was actually uh, 
for George Floyd, like um, in his, so we called it uh, We Can Breathe No Way. So that was uh, what the demonstration was. That was just like a little correction that I was going to say, and then Bobby, you can take over. <laughs> That's what I was yeah. going to say. No, absolutely. Yes, uh, the demonstration uh, was, was organized uh, as a result of, you know, what we all witnessed happen in the U.S. Uh, in the summer of 2020. Uh, and that is, I'm, I'm referring to, uh, you know, to the killing of George Floyd, uh, you know, and what others, you know, uh, say, you know, is uh, a lynching. And by a lynching, you know, that is kind of like, you know, an historical reference, you know, to how uh, black people, you know, used to be, you know, uh, murdered, you know, uh, in the U.S., you know, during the time of slavery and even after during, you know, uh, the time of you know, the Jim Crow era, uh, era. And, you know, it's basically, you know, uh, a kind of, a, you know, of a dehumanization uh, that uh, takes place. And this time it happened in front of, you know, a number of cameras, mm. you know, in, an incredible number of witnesses. And uh, the images that were broadcasted world, world, worldwide uh, definitely, uh, you know, um, you know, just, you know, requested uh, or required us to react in some kind of ways. And which is exactly what we saw happen, you know, in Minnesota, you know, a great number of people came out, you know, just to make it clear that that wasn't going to, you know, uh, to just, you know, that wasn't okay. You know, there was mm. no way uh, that could be uh, acceptable. So us as a rise, uh, when we uh, were informed about what had happened, and when we began to see, you know, uh, the images that were coming from the U.S., especially of the protesters that were being brutalized by the police, you know, uh, in these cities all over the U.S. and even in the U.K., you know, we saw images of an incredible number of Black people, you know, not only just Black people, but, you know, every, you know, all kinds of people were out there, you know, uh, protesting and making it clear that, you know, enough is enough, right? And uh, so for us, it was kind of like, you know, an, an instinctive reaction to say, you know what, we want to stand in solidarity, you know, with these, you know, we, you know, with our people, you know, with all the people that were out there on the streets. Um, and this initiative, well, it was a very spontaneous reaction, you know, uh, there was no planning, you know, there was no, we didn't know, uh, you know, that, you know, that demonstration was ever going to take place because initially we thought we were just going to gather, you know, a few number of people from our community and, you know, just, you know, come up with some kind of, um, you know, of an event where we would gather and, you know, show as much solidarity as, you know, as we could and also, you know, and also find comfort, you know, within each other, you know, because it was quite traumatizing, uh, you know, to see these images and there was no you know, there was nobody that I knew around me that wasn't affected by what uh, we saw happened. And so that was basically the initial reaction and response to what we, uh, we, uh, we witnessed uh, happen. Uh, so, yeah, that is the background of the demonstration that we, we organized on the 5th of June uh, 2020, uh, last mm. year. Yes. And just to <clears throat> chime in on that, the movement or the organization, or rather the organizational work and the... Um, mobilization towards the demonstration actually happened at a time when we were working on mobilizing for another issue. So that's a completely separate thing, but that was the time when we were working on this case at the University of Oslo, 
which was about a black man who was working there as a, oh, some sort of utility person. And he had experienced some very terrible behavior from some of his white coworkers and management there and called a few things and whatnot. So we were working with the Center for Civil uh, Justice and African Student Association to sort of start, um, yeah, mobilizing, basically, either demonstrating at uh, the campus or writing something in the paper. And as we were working on that, uh, we all saw the horrible video. We started talking about it in the meeting. And that's also why we decided to call the demonstration instead of just Black Lives Matter or, or something. We called it We Can't Breathe to mm -hmm. highlight the fact that also here in Norway, we experience institutional and systemic racism. So Black Lives Matter everywhere is also a very popular tag, which sort of resonated with us. Mm -hmm. uh, systemic racism has been an issue for a long time. So as we were talking with uh, African Student Association about what do we call it, uh, do we give it the same name as the campaign we're currently working on, we landed on We Can't Breathe. Uh, and we uh, right away realized that that was kind of what it needed to be called because black mm. people in Norway may not be killed at the same disproportionate number as black people in the U.S. Uh, or black people in Brazil, for that matter. But for sure, we're being harassed. We're being discriminated. We had the uh, killing of Obiora by the police in Trondheim, yeah. which was identical, really, to what happened to Floyd, apart from the mm -hmm. fact that he died in a car away from people as opposed to in front of people. Um, so that's kind of why we landed on we can't breathe. We also believe that's why it um, caused the controversy that it did, because we weren't saying, okay, this is only for George Floyd and in solidarity with the black man in the U.S. This is also for our own people. So mm. we decided to invite a lot of speakers that are based in Norway to talk about the experience in Norway. And if you pay close attention, you'll see that most of the reactions from the media, despite, you know, criticisms about COVID-19 regulations and whatnot, you'll see that most of the reactions are about, oh, Black people in Norway, or rather African people in Norway shouldn't be importing American problems. And we're saying that it's not what we're doing. It's, it's been happening a problem here for as well. 15 years. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, that's tough. That's why it's rough working in anti-racist work in Norway, because... White Norwegians don't see racism as a part of what they do yeah. or how they act. You know, they think that they're the good guys. There's this Nordic exceptionalism at work. It's crazy. Um, but we feel we nailed it. We feel we hit the nail on the head with that title. We can't breathe. You definitely did. It was, yeah, I have no words. Phenomenal. I, yeah, if that's the word I can use. But actually talking about some of the things that's happening here in Oslo or in Norway uh, regarding racism and all of that, I wanted to... So you guys have done a couple of things, so, you know, writing to whether that's the police or newspapers. And there is one thing that I thought found very interesting and this was the stop and search policy or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Can you talk me through that, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> that work regarding the practice of the police doing what is called the stop and frisk or stop and search, mm. it's common practice not only in Norway, uh, we also believe that the problems that are affecting uh, non-white people, not just African people now, but immigrants, anybody who isn't Caucasian, we think it's not unique to Norway, obviously. Uh, but that work was actually started again by uh, the Center for Civil Justice um, and the leader, Akhenaton de Leon, um, where they saw that there was a dis disproportionate amount of young Black people and immigrants uh, in general who were reporting that the their kids were being stopped by the police for no reason. And at some point, it became so frequent that it was seen as harassment. And that's where you get all this talk of racial profiling and whatnot. So we learned pretty early on in Norway 
well, especially in the black uh, communities, that if a group of white teenagers are hanging out on a street corner, the police are going to ride by going, okay, so that's a group of friends. But if it's a group of black kids and they drive by, then it's a gang, right? It's a potential problem, somebody selling drugs or what have you. So that's why the stop and frisk thing became so widespread. So we have crazy stories in Norway about, it was this black man in, which city was that? Trondheim or something, somewhere a bit longer up north, who was stopped like 18 times in one day where the police asked him if it was his bike he was riding. And it was his bike. He bought it that day or that week or something. Google it, you'll find it. It's completely outrageous. So the systemic work, we're trying to uh, record and, and get some data on how how successful is the stop and frisk uh, practice of the police was incredibly difficult. It was started by, um, again, the Center for Civil Justice. And they're talking to the police about, uh, do you record any kind of uh, success rate? What are you doing to make sure that it's legitimate when black young people are being stopped or black people in general? And the police had no uh, quality assurance uh, tied to this thing. They were just saying, go out there and stop black people or anybody you find suspicious. And because of the white gaze, obviously black people are immediately suspicious, right? So if you're driving a, a too nice car, you're suspicious. If your car isn't nice enough, you're suspicious. If you're dressed in great clothes, you're suspicious. So the Center for Civil Justice had been working over a number of years working towards uh, getting le legislation changed, like policy level stuff, talking to the parliament, to the politicians, um, and made some serious headway in terms of getting this practice stopped. But it didn't happen because of the, I believe it was the policeman's union or something that stopped it uh, for reasons that aren't interesting to get into. But bottom line is, we see that it's still a problem. The police mm. aren't collecting any data on who they stop or maybe most importantly, why they stop them. Yeah. They just get to go on this um, gut feeling, right? And mm -hmm. our um, the thing we wrote in our letter that we handed over to the Department of Justice was that if it's a gut feeling from a person who may or may not have racist attitudes or otherwise unhealthy bias, right? Which we believe is a fact in most white yeah. people, then that gut feeling, that intuition is going to obviously uh, affect the disproportionate amount of young black people. So we're asking that this practice be stopped or maybe more importantly, that if you're going to do it, there's going to be some sort of documentation in place. Uh, we haven't heard back, interestingly, from the Department of Justice. So we handed over a letter to the secretary, uh, ourselves and the uh, previous president of the African Student Association. We still haven't heard back. So I guess we, we got to start gearing up and get our pitchforks and, um, I don't know, Yeah. march in front of that building. Uh, they said just... we were going to look at it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just about to ask you. So what was the results? It was great work. <laughs> and then you went in and said nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's terrible. And we got quite a number of um, signatures also for that petition. So we're actually a little bit concerned about why they haven't gotten back to us and not even, uh, hey, we've seen it. We're going to get back to you. COVID-19 is messing up. I think nothing. It's been quiet. Nothing from the police, from the politicians or from the Department of Justice. So we have to uh, probably get back on that and uh, look into it. But anyway, that was the backdrop of that petition. No, thank you for sharing. And I uh, hope but, uh, that you uh, keep on it. And um, yeah. Yeah, sorry I interrupted uh, you. No, no, you did not. I just wanted to like uh, add like, you know, the you also to mention the prime minister, you know, went on. Uh, she, she had a press conference, I believe, and she said something like, you know, uh, if black people are you know, allowed to march as such, then she would also maybe allow the you know uh, uh neo nazis to to do the same as well that was on the news absolutely i mean it, it was very shocking uh to see the reactions of many of these uh senior politicians especially to the demonstration that we organized and also the lack of 
of um, cooperation was very much apparent, you know, and this was uh, during, you know, in the middle, you know, I mean, the demonstration took place in the middle of a pandemic and uh, all the, um, uh, you know, the, the commotion that came with it. And for us, we thought it would be proactive, uh, at least, you know, uh, when we were organizing and planning this, uh, we proactively uh, looked for, you know, we approached them, uh, you know, the, like the, the municipality of Oslo, uh, you know, the, the police as well, uh, trying to see how, you know, we could uh, cooperate in order to facilitate or to accommodate, you know, such a youth gathering of people, because obviously, you know, as the, you know, the word of mouth spread and, you know, you know, the social media event was created, people started to share, you know, to share it, you know, very widely and fast. And, you know, in a matter of, of, of hours, you know, we had, you know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, uh, you know who uh, showed interest. So we knew that, you know, we were going to, you know, we were going to deal or we were going to be forced to deal with, you know, a situation that we weren't as prepared for. And or we, we did not even have the means, you know, at our disposal, you know, to deal with. You know, we are a very, you know, um, like we explained in the beginning, you know, the grassroots organizations that do not have millions, you know, upon you know, our table that we can, you know, we can spend and, you know, and do whatever that we, uh, you know, we want with. You know, unlike many other, you know, organizations, you know, that are, you know, working, you know, in the same fields that are recipients of, you know, you know a great number I mean, a great amount of money, but we, we do not. So, you know, it was quite like, you know, proactively, like I said, you know, we tried to reach out to some of them, uh, some of these institutions and they rejected us, you know. Um, but it was quite interesting to, so, to also see how the police reacted as opposed to the municipality, for instance, mm. you know, and um, the Ministry of Health, you know, uh, because the police uh, came across as much more, you know, willing to, to cooperate, you know, much more willing to listen to us, you know, and what we had to say, you know, and how, you know, we thought, you know, it would be wise, you know, to organize, you know, such a, you know, such an event. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was quite shocking, like I said, you know, to see the reaction, even especially after, because there was a lot of criticism that was directed to us. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and there was a lot of fear mongering as well, because some of these politicians were claiming that, oh, there's a great number of people that have been, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, that have, you know, COVID-19, you know, because of the, you know, the gathering, they, they try to make it seem as if, you know, uh, people were not responsible, you know, that the spread of the virus, you know, was increasing and all of that. But then again, it turned out none of that happened mm. and there was no truth uh, to uh, to it. So there was a great number of, you know, of attempts from many people, many of these senior politicians to try to divert the conversation mm. from what, you know, we wanted the conversation to be about, you know, and that was, you know, structural racism, racism, you know, in the society, you know, uh, you know the injustice that many of us, you know, the youth, you know, um, you know, are facing in the society. So they did everything in their power to try to divert that, you know, to divert the conversation from that. But unfortunately, I don't think their strategy worked because shortly after the demonstration, there was a great number of people, you know, many, you know, well-known uh, celebrities, you know, and, you know, activists, you know, in this society that came out, you know, with their own personal experiences with the racism. And they were just waiting for that moment, you know, to come out and say, hey, this is what I've been through. This is what I've, you know, uh, I've experienced. So the demonstration basically, you know, became like, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a catalyzator, uh, you know, or at yeah. least encourage a great number of people to come forward, you know, and you know, expose the Norwegian society for what it is, mm -hmm. you know, because for many, maybe especially those who live outside of Norway, 
you know, because of this image that, you know, has been so carefully crafted of Norway as a peaceful nation, you know, they, you know, they, they give out, you know, Nobel Peace Prize every year, you know, nothing really happens in Norway, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So at least, you know, for once, many people witness how much, you know, grievances that a great number of people, especially people of color, you know, African people, you know, have, you know, as a result of the unspoken injustices that we witness, that we go through daily. So yeah. it was shameful to hear the reaction, especially from the prime minister and the things that, that, that she said shortly mm. after the demonstration. But for me personally, to me, I wasn't surprised, you know, not, not even the reaction, you know, the lack of reaction from the, the Ministry of Justice or whatever. I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised mm. at all. You know, it's, it, you know um, it only served to prove, you know, what we, you know, we were, what we are saying, you know, the structural mm. racism, you know, the, you know, the, the institutional you know, uh, racism that exists within this society. So their silence proves that. Exactly. And their lack of action as well. Yeah. And one thing when you said, well, throughout, throughout you, when you were talking, um, I thought about the power of coming together as individuals and one knowing our backgrounds and knowing where we're from and who we are. And we come together, whether you have funding or not, you stand strong. And that builds that community and that unity across Norway um, and I'm sure that your work as you mentioned that you has inspired others to come up and speak out and share their experiences as well and even though they've tried to use the whole pandemic as an excuse then they have definitely managed to blame it on minorities or blame the spreading of the pandemic on minorities later and more people has now come up and, and said this is not okay you can't say that people from this area are the reason for the spreading of the pandemic um i've had my fair experiences of you know if from quote unquote too close to someone and then they say can you please move back when they're not even wearing a mask or when they are not even um watching their one meter and you know there's times and i think this is something i'm learning to do is to speak up because i think i've been so used to like letting things slide or thinking oh, i can't be bothered here we go again i can't i don't i don't want to deal with this so i just let it go Whereas now I'm taking more responsibility and, and speaking up because I think if I don't speak up, then it's going to affect someone else. And that person needs to know that what they're saying is not okay. So I think your work and what you're doing is inspiring more people that you know uh, or you know about or you know of. I'm glad that you haven't you haven't felt discouraged despite you not hearing back about the stop and search and uh, the politicians who may be or who are unsupportive of what you're doing. One thing I'm very, very, very curious about, so I mentioned that sometimes we, that we do speak about, or I mentioned earlier that we speak about well-being uh, on this podcast, and I'm very curious about how you have been taking care of your well-being during the pandemic, and as activists as well. Do you have like two or three of each person, if you can share two or three of your well-being tips or routines what do you guys get up to well uh for me i mean during this pandemic i've discovered so many interesting apps 
uh, which I can stay in touch with my loved ones and friends. For example, there's, a, there's an app that's called House Party. <laughs> I've spent so much time on there. I've spent so much time on there with friends and family because there you can do basically sort of like have like game nights, you know, uh, nice. together while people, you can do that from, from uh, the comfort of your own home a few things safe, of course. Yeah, besides that, uh, besides that I mean... Just basically staying in touch with friends and family. Spend as much time with the ones that, uh, the so-called close contacts, the ones that you're allowed to meet quite often. Yeah. And um, one thing for sure, like in terms of um, our group, like with Arise, we have kept our weekly meetings. So mm. despite not being able to uh, maybe create as many events, we've had our weekly meetings uh, the whole time uh and we're also working on just basically getting better at creating uh because it's something that we would do if we would meet in person like have more social meetings so now it's like that's what the goal is going forward that you know what we don't have to stop with that let's continue with that um yes. whether that has to be digital or whatever so that's something that i'm definitely looking forward to so that's what that's what's been keeping me going um aside of that i mean i'm i'm working full time i'm very fortunate that i still i still go to work because i'm in, in healthcare, so that keeps me busy as well awesome. so that's me <laughs> how about you uh Chirambi? what's your what's your self-care two things that you like to do to take care of yourself mind so body and soul <laughs> yeah no for sure it's gonna sound so cliche but uh exercise is what i've discovered so to speak uh, the gyms closed down and I was fond of going to the gym. So when uh, I decided I don't feel comfortable going and finally when they closed down, I said, well, I have to do something because the mm -hmm. first part of the pandemic, uh, the lockdown situation anyway, I think I gained like five kilos or something and uh, it wasn't lean muscle mass to put it that way. So I decided <laughs> I had to do something. So uh, I bought some barbells, <laughs> some dumbbells to keep at home mm -hmm. and I started doing push-ups and, and, you know, jumping jacks and ridiculous stuff. Um, and I just immediately felt better because you get that dopamine and endorphin yes. hit afterwards and I bought a bike and I started bicycling a lot what else did I do I started yoga so I really kind of touched with my body and it was quite beautiful um never felt better um just like Rubimbo said I'm also fortunate enough to keep my job so somehow some way my mind is also kept afloat by having a job to sort of disconnect from the isolation yeah. uh and from the inability to go and visit people when I want to and I haven't seen my father in person for like a year because mm. uh, he lives in Oslo and I live right outside. So sometimes, you know, it gets pretty dark. But luckily, I have work that takes up at least seven hours of my day. So I get to kind of be somewhere else in my head. And, and that really works. So exercise and work actually are the two things that I've been doing. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, don't the home workouts become better, though, eventually? <laughs> I, I personally think that it was really hard like going because I'm the same like I I'm kind of like addicted to the gym like I have to be in the gym to work out mm. but now just like you it's kind of like okay so the gyms are not opening anytime soon we might have to work with what we have so now yes, it's like you right. know I, I, I can relate when you say the jumping jacks it's like yeah <laughs> That's, that's yeah. a good thing. I, I feel like it has it teaches you to build self discipline because you just need to like shift your mindset and be like, right, I need to do this. Six, absolutely. six, we're going. <laughs> six, yeah, absolutely. Going. <laughs> that is so true. That is true. Cool. Thank you, guys. How about yourself, Chivoa? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm a family person. You know, I have a, a partner, wife, and I have a kid. So. Uh, you don't take a break from that. So, uh, so I spend most 
most of the time, you know, we, it's my partner, you know, so we kind of did uh, connect very much, uh, much more. And even, you know, but that's like part of life. But, but I, I'm a community person as well. So, and, you know, um, because of this pandemic, you know, people, you know, everybody had to come, you know, it, it had to go digital. So, and people are very creative, you know, so they, they, they do a lot of fun things. So um, I'm like, you know, invited to, you know, happy hours online. I'm invited, you know, to even, uh, uh, I mean, acquaintances, you, you don't actually, you know, talk to, you know, in a normal kind of, you know, life uh, form because of this, you know, the consequences of this pandemic. So, but now they are online, they have time so they can like, you know, so I've been connecting uh, with uh, a lot of people actually, really connecting with a lot of people and then just like, you know, having good conversations and, you know, uh, going to classes as well because I like to study, you know, I always try to learn something. And so I've been doing all these kind of things and I've also been trying to exercise more, but more like on the yoga thing and, you know, I'm more becoming also maybe like, you know, a very present father, you know, because now the kid is here with you, you know, you're living just with your kid, you know, I had to become creative to like, okay, what should I do now mm-hmm. with the kid? And then, you know, yeah, uh, we've done a lot of things, a lot of fun things as well. So. It's been tiring. Uh, one has also to have to say that, you know, because I, I, I definitely do miss, you know, like you know the, yeah, uh, contact with other people. I definitely do uh, miss that as well. But uh, yeah, basically, it's been social uh, in in some way, very social actually, yeah. and that was very nice. That was very nice to have. Awesome. And Babu, what's your, if you can mention two self-care things that you've been doing or self-care activities that you've been doing to take care of yourself uh, through the pandemic and as an activist as well? Wow, it's really hard to, you know, two things. I mean, I do a lot of things. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of things, you know, uh, in order to, to keep up. Just like many have already mentioned or, you know, uh, have I've been into. I also do a lot of that. You know, I do. You know, uh, exercise for me. Exercising is a form of therapy. Uh, that's how I. You know, I release. You know, I, I, I'm relieved of stress or you know any kind of um, you know of um, you know strain that I might have. Um, but I also do a lot of reading. You know, I enjoy reading. Uh, you know, it's a form of I practice reading. You know, mm. as an, as a way to. You know, to not only gain information, you know, and knowledge, but as as also a way of disconnecting, mm. uh, you know, you know, from 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 the you know from the reality. Sometimes you know, it can be very hectic and overwhelming at yeah. times. But I also enjoy spending time with family. You know, be in a in a, in a, in a space uh, where I feel comfortable. I feel like I can be myself. Uh, you know, with people that love loves me, and um, I, I enjoy doing that. Especially now during the pandemic, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's, you know, it, it has proven even more important, you know, to, to appreciate the loved ones, the people that are closest to you, because those are the ones that you are allowed to see every exactly. now and then. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so these are the things that I do for myself and, and uh, I feel like uh, it, it helps me keep up, not only as a person, as a human being, but, you know, uh, you know just to keep up in every way possible. Mm. Uh, Awesome. Thank you, guys. So if someone is looking to find you guys online, uh, where would they find you on um, Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, so our 
social media um, it has the same handle both on Facebook and Instagram, uh, which is at Arise Oslo. So at Arise Oslo on Facebook and at Arise Oslo on Instagram. Uh, and I also think that our email address is directly linked on our Instagram page, but the email is arise together one at gmail.com. Yeah. Awesome. So you can reach us through our inbox on Facebook, our inbox on Instagram. We're really good at checking our inboxes as well as email. Thank you guys so yeah. much for being part of the Rehla podcast and sharing your story. I appreciate you. And one thing I've been saying to the guests I've had on is that this is not the last time. So I'm probably going to do a little check-in in about a year to see how arise is doing what you guys have been up to and um yeah just to see how things are going absolutely <laughs> we would love yeah, that we would that. love to come back yeah thank you so much for having us thank you it was great thank you thanks for having us uh, thank you great. for having us thank you take care i mean uh before we go the way we end is uh one person shouts arise And then we stomp the floor like one, two, fist up in the air, and then we respond together. We rise. Hmm. So I can do this out. Okay. So rhythm, okay. rhythm is very important. Rhythm is very important in the walk of a rise. So we also yeah. like you know basically walk with that. So you have to make sure you get your two steps right. Are you ready? Yes. Are you guys ready? Yep. Yes. Arise. Together we rise. rise. <laughs> beautiful beautiful i love yeah. this man beautiful. thank you thank beautiful. you so much probably like the best no, thank ending you of any show i've gotten this <laughs> thank <year>. you to you <laughs> thank yeah. you to you so bye bye and good luck thank, thank you. you guys speak to you soon okay bye bye bye, bye.